Coming up on today's episode, we find out what it's like to drive a 356 in Antarctica, we investigate the crazy world of the Carrera GT, and we look ahead to what's in store for 2022. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. Nineworks Radio is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Nineworks Radio is presented by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks with special input from friends and experts around the industry, as well as you, our valued listeners. Enjoy the episode. Andy, it's good to see you again and hear your dulcet tones. Oh, good to see you again, Lee. And uh, good to see our listeners, even though we can't see them. <laughs> well, we hope you're, you're back with us. Yeah, and to our lovely listeners at home, thank you very much for joining us yet again for another series of Nine Works Radio. Absolutely. I think we should thank the listeners for our little break as well, which was quite nice to have a have a couple of weeks off couple of weeks off yeah we appreciate your patience listening at home just to allow us to have a couple of weeks of downtime um well really it kind of went into prepping this series because there's lots of amazing amazing yeah, lots of good stuff, stuff coming up yeah great guests great content we hope to have you along for the ride every week for the next 12 weeks indeed what have you been up to then andy well christmas came and went but it was good yep did you have a good time had an amazing time thanks any good nine eleven presents SeaTech charger so i think that's uh, my family know i don't use the 996 as much although actually i've Excellent. been using it i've been using it loads since christmas the 996 yeah so i'd probably say i don't need it yeah what about you <laughs> uh yeah i've got some bits for the car i obviously presented sarah with a list of part numbers as i normally did very good yeah so i've got some new headlamp lenses uh new reflector for the back of the car quality um some other bits and bobs yeah so yeah nice good. so Start your your 993 is tucked away for winter hibernation and yeah. it's going to be reincarnated for 2022 yeah. show season yeah i need to get my act together and start sorting it out so yeah um my wife sarah is away this week so um i shall be tinkering in the garage excellent <laughs> absolutely excellent time well spent i would say absolutely it's, it's been a busy start to the year you've been down to bista scramble first one of the year Yeah, went to bista scramble i think lots of um lots of people that we know went as well yeah saw lots of faces that i knew and saw lots of photos um on instagram from people that i know that were there as well yeah um it was fantastic uh Back to the old days. Yeah, you said the concept was back on form. Absolutely, really was yeah. a scramble again in I the mean, middle. You, you went to last year, one of the scrambles last year, and I did say to you, you know, don't take this as being what the scramble is normally about because yeah. it was it was well it wasn't empty but like there was no there wasn't many cars in the in the main compound yeah and it was all a bit sort of stayed where yeah it felt like you know it was it was the buzz was back. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it feels like yeah, life is going to get back to normal this yeah, year. Yeah, I think That's, people are, Fingers crossed. Yeah, people are itching to get out again, aren't they? And, and yeah. enjoy the cars. We've all been kind of cooped up for long enough with this kind of mantra uh, being forced upon us or, or circling of Carpe Diem. Yeah. And uh, so that's it. People have, in the period, have bought some fantastic cars and just want to use them. So yeah. it's great to see kind of faces out and about again. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it was great to see so many great cars covered in filth brilliant uh, i mean uh paul was there with his um ruby stone <laughs> 992 and um i saw a picture of it in the morning 
um, and it was clean. And by the time we got to Bicester, it was you couldn't see the back number plate. And there were so many cars like that, you know, that were absolutely <laughs> covered in it. Um, yeah, it was, it was good to see stuff being used. Yeah, definitely. The, these things aren't trailer queens, you know. They're, they're cars. They're built to be driven in all weathers. And as we're going to find out later on in our episode, our lovely British climate isn't the most severe on the planet <laughs> very true yeah yeah <laughs> more on that shortly i think it's also worth pointing out that it's been a very busy time over on nine works to start the year yes we've had some fantastic articles go up on uh, nineworks.co.uk feel free to check out at home if you've not done so yet but yeah already we're awash with some great porsche content to, to help everybody out so i'd really like to commend the uh, 959 versus uh, 992 Carrera 4S video. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Mate, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's obviously really, all, all really down good. to Paul, the lovely owner, for, for allowing like the story of these wonderful cars to be told, really. Yeah. Um, and and as, as we discover in the video, 959 and a 992 C4S, 35 years apart, but actually more in common than you might think. Yeah. I'm, I think mean, it was so, I don't know, when I look back to, you know, when I was a, a teenager when those cars came out, the 959 was the real sort of in the face, you know, wings and stuff and red. And, you know, it was just like really grabbed your attention. The 959 almost sort of, you know, it could do 200 miles an hour, but it didn't look as amazing to Mm. the, to the untrained eye. But when you learn from your video, um, you know, what, what was actually, yeah, the technological things that they'd come up with was way ahead of time. No, that's really ridiculous. And it's just, and it, it kind of like really, yeah, um, opens up what a 959 is. And it's just crazy how far ahead of its, of its time it was. Without a doubt. And, you know, it, yeah, it took the company to the brink. But as you'll discover on the video, it, it you know, they've got it back in kind. So, yes. um yeah. That's on there. We've also got top five tips for financing your Porsche in 2022. That is a brilliant article uh, where you will learn lots from, it has to be said. Um, and the cars to watch in 2022. So, yeah, our experts um, from our classified section, our trusted partners over at Nineworks, they have given their top tips for the models to watch out for this year. Um, yeah, always pretty enlightening. And we always like to look on there and see if our current steed is yeah, on the yeah, list yeah. Or, or, or whether the, the next one was, is. It? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to head over to nineworks.co.uk to take a look. So, yes, nice and busy and lots more to come as well. Um, Porsche has also started the year um, at pace by launching another 911. It's uh, a special edition. Right perhaps in name only i'm not sure it's uh if, if we're ready for this it's the edition 50 years porsche design 911 okay take us through it i mean it's more of a novel than a, a model name i suppose <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah so it's a 992 targa based on the targa 4 gts so 408 horsepower twin turbo flat six pdk although manual is optional and it's built to celebrate 50 years of porsche design of course, the, the design agency oh, okay, built by yeah. uh, Bootsy, yeah. or Bootsy Porsche, who's obviously the creator of the 911 as well. They're celebrating their Golden Jubilee this year. Porsche, in a nod to that, has released this edition 50 years Porsche design 911 thing, uh, of which there will be 750 built worldwide. Good. Some small design touches on the car, including it being kind of black all over inside and out in yeah. homage to the Chronograph 1 that was uh, Bootsy Porsche's first timepiece designed way back when. Um, kind of it, really. Get a badge on the back. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what it is. Sometimes these things on paper don't look 
amazing, do they? But yeah. And you, you sort of put doubt on it. And when you actually get it in front of you. Yeah, um, I, I think so. I, I think that like the heritage, was it the heritage um, yes. cargo that added up to more than it's... Uh, it, it did. So funny, funny you mentioned that, Andy. So I asked Porsche if this was one of the like heritage cars uh, yeah. from Porsche exclusive. And it's not. So just to recap, the exclusive department said they're going to release four of these heritage design cars by the end of 2023. Right. First one was that Target Heritage Design Edition in 2020. Yeah. Didn't have anything last year. So we're expecting three cars in the next sort of 22 months, really. Um, but this car is not part of that, that despite okay. it also being a Targa. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, let's, let's we're, we're getting yeah, into the swingering things already. Judgment. Yeah, I think so. 2022 is going to be big for, for car releases this year. You know, we, we've, we've got some big, big stuff coming up to expect. I'm sure there'll be a GT3 RS on the way as the 992 lineup matures. Again, yeah. Carrera GT, uh, Carrera GT, Carrera T. Yeah. Is, is, I mean, you know, it'd be mad for Porsche to not release one considering that kind of T model line has become a bit of a sub-brand for Porsche in the same way the GTS has. Yeah, there's a real buzz about that now, isn't there? Yeah. Almost because there wasn't at the time, but there is now. Yeah. It's like really kind of need to capitalise on that. Yeah, but yeah. That, that car's really kind of come from the unknown to being like truly appreciated in 991 yeah. form. So again, Porsche's surely got to do something there 992-wise. And then we've got some big anniversaries. Aside of it being 50 years of Porsche design, we've got 50 years of Rennsport, 911 Rennsport, so that's yeah. massive. Obviously, more important than any of that is 25 years of 996, which <laughs> you're buzzing for. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, lots to uh, get stuck into for 2022, I would say. Excellent. Hopefully, we'll be somewhere near the middle of it. But if not, certainly holding on to the coattails <laughs> of all of this news. So. Good. good. Uh, we've got uh, news of new patrons. Fantastic. Um, we've got a couple of new patrons. We've got Joe Chambers Benton in the UK. Uh, it's currently wheeling a couple of BW Beatles uh, some classic 66 and a 74 um, and he's looking to get a 997 at some point nice. soon nice. so thank you for, for joining um, the Patreons cheers Joe thank you and Alistair Davidson who is in Leeds uh, so he said he gets to drive all those lovely roads that you've been talking about oh, on the Yorkshire jealous. Moors very jealous uh, he has a 997C2 um, dot Sorry, 997.2C2. Um, and he sponsored us a beer. Fantastic. So thank, you very much. thank you, Alistair. And we hope you're keeping those roads warm for us <laughs> <laughs> until we can get up there in the summer. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So, shall we. First guest. Yeah, let's talk Antarctica, shall we? Yes. First guest of the episode and first guest of the new series. Yeah. Is a cracker. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic to, to get Rene back on. Uh, but we also have Jason Descartier, who um, is a polar explorer. Yeah. Would I be right in saying? Yes. And a world record holder, no less. Yeah. So he helped Rene do this crazy thing on Antarctica, which basically they dis- decided to race themselves or race the elements yes, and uh, complete 356 miles on Antarctica ice. Yes. So you may remember we've spoken to Renee before and Renee told us about her mission to drive her Porsche 356, which is 65 years old this year. My word. Um, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah, to drive that car on or across seven continents. Yeah. So Rene's done some bits and pieces before, uh, some races like the Peking to Paris, or is it Paris to Peking? 
uh, no, I think peak into Paris. Oh, is it? Correct? Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that westbound. Yeah. The westbound carriageway. <laughs> uh, yeah, all sorts of the Pan American, uh, Pan- Af- African rally. Yeah, East African Safari rally, which yeah. she said last time was our most challenging. Yeah. That was before, obviously, this 356 had touched down in Antarctica, which needed a hell of a lot of rework yes. to make that car terrain friendly for for the snow out there. Yeah. I'd really implore you to go back to that episode if you haven't. Uh, listen to it yet um, because her story in how all of this started is just an amazing listen Um, yes so inspiring it is so yeah do go back to that episode if you if you haven't heard of it already super 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 inspiring yes so we'll chat to Rene and jason about their icy expedition in the 356 Jason and Rene, welcome back to Nine Works Radio. We considerably hope that you've thawed out somewhat since uh, since your adventures down in Antarctica. Definitely not frozen anymore, right? <laughs> I can feel those fingers. <laughs> How bad was it? Oh gosh, Jason, go ahead. How bad was it? <laughs> ah, I mean, it was. I mean, we you know, we were pretty much in central Antarctica, so. Uh, the coast was well, maybe 800 miles away. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, up on the top of a big glacier. And um, when we were, yeah, when we were there, I guess it got down. It wasn't crazy low temperatures, but, you know, yeah, we were getting into sort of minus 20 and below. So uh, okay. it actually felt a lot colder. We, we, we got caught in a big storm, which, you know, with wind chill, that does take it down into like minus thirties or so. So yeah, yeah, gotta be wide awake. You've got to be wide awake for the uh you know, sticking your fingers and that to metal parts on the car. So it was exciting. Oh, yeah. Jason, you're kind of uh, we say, you know, well versed in in the area. Um how does this compare to like, anything else that you've done in Antarctica? Ah, oh, so I mean it was a it was a really exciting set of different challenges to have. So um, yeah, I mean, I was, I'm lucky that it's my sixth time down into Antarctica, which is a, you know, incredible pleasure in one of the world's most beautiful places. And, um, but going down with a, you know, a car that's 65 years old, uh, naturally aspirated with carburetors in minus 30 degrees with tracks and skis when it should be a Porsche on four rubber wheels um yeah it presented a whole a whole new challenge really for for everyone i think i mean i think uh you know antarctica was not new for me but um definitely a tracked porsche was new um and i think for you know neil and the mechanic you know the filming was all normal state for them but then antarctica was different and the same for for uh, simon who did a great job as the the mechanic and kept the car going when really we, we never thought it would ever go again and um <laughs> but antarctica is a, a different a different challenge for him we don't have air-conditioned sort of garages that we can retire to it's, it's all intense so um so yeah no you know yeah no it, it was exciting and, and a great a great bunch of people to travel with i mean awesome that was for me that was the best part Excellent. So there was a team of six of you, wasn't there, in total? Five. Just the five of you? Five, okay. five from, for Valkyrie, and then we had one individual from the logistics company that okay. was driving the support vehicle. Wow. So basically, you were there by yourself otherwise, just like on the glacier? So, um, so, so, so 
the way we were, we had a place called Union Glass, uh, Union um, Glacier, which is the sort of the main base for uh, a lot of scientific research and and the and the sort of the takeoff base where there's flight infrastructure, etc. To because we, you know, that area supports a lot of the science and a lot of the expeditions on that side. You know, anything coming yeah. in from sort of South America comes through there. So in the base the base was quite big um but again it's all a tented base you know it yeah. all gets packed in every year and the winter comes and everything gets overwintered and then in in the in the spring the flights go out they dig themselves a runway and uh, and then start everything again and you know fly everything in so it's a it's a massive operation it's a massive operation it's, it's fantastic that you're able to paint such a like vivid picture, Jason, because, you know, as I'm sure you can both appreciate that most of us will never visit that, that part of the planet, you know, let, let alone take a 65 year old polar Porsche uh, down there for, for the event. I mean, Rene, you, there must have been a period where you maybe wondered if you'd even kind of get there to begin with, bearing in mind that the last time we spoke just over a year ago, um, you know, the, the kind of the sentiment then was you're trying to get out there as, as soon as possible. But obviously there was the, the, the COVID thing, which has obviously curtailed your, your preparations. Exactly. So we had a lot of hurdles just to get down there this season, wondering again, would COVID prevent yeah. us from going, right? And Chile had some of the strictest uh, COVID protocols on the planet. They were very, very strict. And Jason and Christine and I didn't even get our paperwork until the morning that our flights were um, due to leave. Jason actually his flight left. But, and that was only because we pulled out all the stops in Washington, D.C. with anybody and everybody we knew, contacting our local senators who are representing us in D.C., going to the embassy in Chile, presenting them with letters and pleading with them, please oh approve God. our papers. So, I mean, they was taking people six weeks and we didn't realize that we applied, I think, 10 days before departure, at least I did. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, it was just things like that just kept presenting themselves. And for the logistics company, when we arrived, they were behind many weeks. And I think it's a very short season. So they told us they were behind three weeks in setting up Um, when we got there. Their mechanics tent was just you know, it had been blown away after they'd set it up. They hadn't put any of their gear in it, tools in it, anything for them to use it for their own equipment. So uh, three weeks behind for them because of uh, COVID. And so just things that there's always stuff that happens no matter where you go into a rally or whatever event it is. There's always things that you haven't planned for that present themselves. And that's actually just part of the fun and the excitement of the journey is, okay, we've got this problem and how are we going to solve it? Right. making uh, all those challenges that come your way yeah it's it's very much like the ultimate motoring triumph over adversity Uh, Rene when we last spoke you mentioned uh, when we were discussing the 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 previous continents and previous races that you'd undertaken in the 356 and you highlighted the East African Safari Rally as being the the most challenging Um, obviously there are numerous differences in in terrain temperature and all the rest of it between the two but I'm kind of keen to to kind of understand in your mind just how different the Antarctica was in terms of like the difficulty and, and the challenge that it presented over somewhere like Africa? Well, it's it was all about, you know, the weather. I mean, the terrain itself was challenging because of, you know, the blue ice. You know, you imagine ice as being 
um, maybe like a flat surface, like if it's yeah. a skating rink or for hockey or something, right? It's, it isn't far from a smooth surface. So it's cupped and undulated, lots of sharp surfaces. Um, and, and then the sestrugi, I think that's how you say it, right? That, that can present itself. And um, Jason can explain that a very, very particular kind of um, uh, something created by winds and snow and ice, um, Jason, you can address that. But the weather, I mean, um, and the moisture, because we were told uh, people that had been down there, I think what they said, 12, 15 years, it was the snowiest in that area that they had ever seen. So then not only did we have the temperatures, but we had the, the humidity and the moisture. And and um, yeah, a, a few little things, uh, if we would have uh, been prepared for it. The car performed so well with its skis and tracks, what Kieran uh, designed was stunning, absolutely stunning the way it performed. Uh, we just had some issues with the carburetors and, uh, and of course the one bolt, the one bolt that just didn't <laughs> want to cooperate, right. It kept shearing. So, uh, but other than those things, um, no, the car, the car was fantastic. It was really incredible. The support vehicle was getting stuck in the snow <laughs> and as the car, our car was designed, it just, you know, we were waiting for them. <laughs> so Excellent. That was so much fun. <laughs> I, th I think I heard that you did a lot less testing than you were anticipating um, due to COVID, the COVID situation. Um, so, you know, that could have curtailed the project quite a bit. But um, what testing did you did you get done? Was there was there a much or was it basically just get out there? Well, Kieran had the car at his home in yep. the UK and and you all, um, Jason, had a little snow. You had some snow. So Kieran put it out in his backyard. It was snow on grass. Uh, <laughs> but he, he did a test there. We didn't take it to Sweden. It would have been a massive undertaking because of all the things with COVID for travel sure. and all. And also, um, it really wouldn't present what we would be encountering in Antarctica. It's, would be, there would be some similarities, but it wouldn't, wouldn't be anywhere near the same. And yeah. um so we didn't do that. And when we got there, we realized, you know, weather was coming in. We had a couple of days of sunshine and we we better just get that car and start driving it right away, which is what we did um, down there. But Jason, you can talk more about uh, what those kind of situations are with the ice and snow and everything. Oh, You've yeah, got I'd love to hear that. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard on another podcast that um, the, the Inuit language has 12 words for different types of snow. Was that correct? 21. 21. 21, okay. 21 different words. Wow. For, I just thought uh, snow was snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's even in England, it, it's always the wrong type of snow, isn't it? So, yes. uh, <laughs> and, and we're always, we always seem to be so surprised every year when we get it. But um, uh, no, so the, no, as, 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 as um, Rene rightly said, you know, there were a lot of challenges on the, on the surfaces because, yeah, when we fly in, we fly in on a jet and that jet lands on a pure, pure solid ice runway, a blue ice runway. It's blue because of the compression and just the, the you know, the pure, pure weight of the, of the ice squeezes out all the, all of the oxygen. So it okay. makes it, that's what gives that the glacier blue. Yeah. And, um, and then when the sun does come out, you know, the sun does heat up. The surface of that ice but then it instantly freezes so you get what they call sun cupping and um and it's like if you were to freeze a sort of choppy ocean 
that's pretty much what it's what it looks like okay um so you have that and then you have very soft snow that you know in some cases doesn't have a bottom because it's eight eight hundred meters thick um so you know so you can have you have you have that and as Rene said, the you know, we did consider taking it up to Sweden, but we knew the car worked. So we had tested it on snow. It was in the UK, not a lot of snow. We know that. But we also know that when you take a car to test, you you normally test it until it breaks because you're trying to find out what the limits yeah. are. So with a 65-year-old car, part of our problem was, you know, things don't you don't test everything till it breaks yeah so there are some things that you test and you only notice the first thing that breaks you don't notice all the other things that you've stressed to a point maybe of near failure but they didn't fail because something else broke first yeah and that was more of our problem we knew we knew that that yeah the car the car would work and it would and it would be strong enough but we also knew that you know, whatever we test in Sweden, it will be different stresses and strains in Antarctica because snow is not snow, as we, as the Inuits will uh, will attest to, and and you just have you just have different challenges. So you know, the temperature might be warmer or colder, and that makes metal work in different ways. Yes, yeah. um, the way that the skis work on, yeah, as incorrectly pronounced by Rene Sestrugi, which is literally you know, shaped ice from the wind. So the wind blows the snow, the ice around, and then it forms into pockets, and then the wind can blow that incredibly solid. And then the sun comes out, it melts, it goes hard as rock, and then you get some more ice on it. So when you look at it, sometimes they can be, you know, the size of a hedgehog and obviously pose no threat at all, but other times they can be size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Some of them can be the size of a house. Yeah. So if you hit that at speed, that is, you know, that's a car killer. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so those were the sort of, you know, it's a whole different terrain. And, and of course, you know, the age old biggest foe of anybody in Antarctica being crevasses. So we were using um, routes that had been ice, um, ice radar um, sort of inspected. Okay. But the ice removes every year, you know, ice yeah. is the same as water, it flows down around the mountains, and um, although it's moving at a glacial pace, obviously, um, but that still means that it stretches to get over obstacles, etc. And that's what causes that cracking in the ice and opening open up. And, you know, some of those can be 200 meters deep. So, um, yeah, we don't want to fall in one of those. Yeah. So we had all sorts of procedures that we talked about that if we felt like we were going, you know, or something was going in, then you try and push the doors open as quick as you can so that you make yourself as sticky as you can so that you don't fall right into the bottom of a crevasse. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, so, yeah, so, so we, did you yeah, guys actually yeah. fall down into a crevasse at all? Did you need to use no. that bar at the front? Yeah, no. Thankfully, oh. all of that was wow. was was there as a was. I mean, you know, as always, you know, kind of like newsworthy. So the more of a disaster it is, everybody, the better everybody likes it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did have several breakdowns. There was, as Rene alluded, there was a a bolt on actually both sides that we kept breaking. You know, we broke three, and we only had four, so we only had one left when we actually <laughs> completed the challenge. 
Wow. Um, carbs were icing up. I mean, it was, yeah, there was, it kind of like every day there was another challenge, but credit to the team, took everything in their pace and just, you know, adapted, overcame and carried on, which is exactly the attitude you need in Antarctica. I think it's really interesting what you've said kind of there so far, Jason, you're kind of um, referring to like the mechanical element of um, such an excursion, but there's also like a, um, a human element like in terms of like that physical attrition. Um, and I'd just kind of like to get more of an understanding of just how difficult it was for, for both of you in, in, in that, you know, scenario, having to deal with like such extremes, as we've said in not just terrain, but like temperature and possibilities of hypothermia, etc. You know, if there's anywhere on the planet Earth, you need your brain to be like pinpoint, it's got to be there, surely. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, everything is more difficult, you know, so if your hands are out in the cold too long, then you start losing your dexterity, and then you can't do up zips, you can't do up zips, you get cold. That lowers your core, your core temperature. That makes your fingers go cold even quicker. So it's a bit of a, you know, it's 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 a bit of a self-diminishing circle that if you let it go too far. So we had really quite strict protocols about everybody checked everybody all the time. Yeah. So you know, you didn't laugh if somebody's shirt was untucked or something because you know that can lead to chills and that can be, you know, that can lead to lowering of the core temperature and then you get other problems. So. You know, all of that, we looked and we kept looking at people's noses and ears and cheeks and earlobes, everything, because if you see those start going white and waxy, that's the start of a cold injury, you know, fresh from frostbite, etc. So there was, there was that, but there was also, you know, there's also challenges that you don't, you know, we're sleeping in tents, but the sun never sets, it's 24-hour daylight. God, yeah. So there can be that, you know, you lose complete orientation on, is it four in the afternoon or four in the morning? I've got no idea. And if I go outside, there's no indication that there's any different time. Yeah. Um, and then the weather changes so massive, you know, when it's bright sunshine, we, as, as again, as Rene said, we had fantastic sunshine in the first couple of days. And um, yeah, it was like paradise. It was amazing. Yeah. And then we had five or six days of zero visibility or well, not zero in some place, in sometimes zero visibility, but you know, you couldn't tell where the snow finished and the sky started. So when you're driving, you lose all contrast. You've got no idea where your tracks were, were where you should be. And you're just running off GPS, you know, wow. handheld GPS, and you know that you've got crevasses on either side of you. So how do you, you know, you've got to trust that GPS. And like for Rene, you know, the saying is it's like driving around a mountain pass, but you're blindfolded and somebody's going left a bit, left a bit, carry on turning, carry on turning, carry on turning. Because, you know, with a crevasse, it can be a sheer drop. Yeah. But because it's got snow over the top of it, you you, you can't see it. And yeah, you can't see it until it. it happens. Exactly. So you've got very little reference points. Um, but having said that, when the weather's good, my God, you cannot ask for a better, more beautiful landscape. You know, it's like being on a different planet. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. How did you find that drive-in, Rene? How was it? Did, did you have the confidence to to trust that GPS and get on with it? Or were you absolutely pooping your pants? <laughs> <laughs> and also, what's it like driving a car with skis and tracks rather than wheels as yeah. well? I navigate her. 
um, it's one thing to, cause you know that, and when you're in a rally, that, that energy, that trust within a car, when you're racing at high speeds. And as, as Jason was saying, you know, you have cliffs on the right and all these kinds of hazards, right? You have your eyes, even though you have a navigator telling you what's yeah. ahead and what you can't see past that turn or whatever, I can still rely upon my eyes. And, um, you know, you have to have 100% trust with the navigator. They have to trust you when you're driving, that you're not going to put them at risk unnecessarily. And you have to trust your navigator that they're not lost. That frequently happens, mm. right? When they're yeah. reading those notes, they're lost or they're interpreting wrong or something. And, um, and you know, when you're in a whiteout and you can't see and someone is telling you, as Jason was describing, you know, a little more left here. What's a little more left? that 10 meters, one meter, what is that, right? Yeah. And then there were definitely areas where we were told, do not deviate more than 10 meters to the left or right. Wow. That's your safe zone, yeah. right? And even that is an inaccuracy. It's an estimate. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was definitely, and then, the, you know, the car was already having trouble with uh, freezing up and we couldn't see the support vehicle. It was nowhere to be seen. And they were always having their own issues uh, with their vehicle overheating and having to stop uh, their gearbox overheating because they've had to lower their tires down to practically nothing, you know, almost like yeah. driving on flats. And then, and they're getting stuck everywhere oh as well. God. Where we weren't getting stuck, we had our own things. So, you know, it was, it was definitely a different kind of experience of, of, of driving blind. It really is driving blind and uh, having different, different hazards and, and, uh, things to process and different comfort zones. Um, it takes a lot to get me, um, I guess you could say afraid or on point, you know, like yeah. it takes a lot. And, um, but, but this did get my attention when it was, uh, again, <laughs> there are no visible, no visual cues, right? Yeah. <laughs> no input from the eyes. So, but it, it was, it was awesome. Um, uh, it just uh, a stunning environment. Um, you know, as, as Jason was describing, we're sleeping in tents, there's snow in your tent, you know, the snow is blowing and you don't, it's, uh, there's no, um, uh, we had a fantastic team. Simon was out there changing the carburetor. And like you were saying, he, he has to have his fingers. So he has to take off his gloves, yeah. but then his, his hands, you can't feel. And everything feels like a club. Every yeah. finger feels like it's a club, right? And and having to uh, work in that environment, but uh, an amazing attitude, and that what makes for a great team is whether it was my daughter doing photography or Neil shooting the, the, the filming, you know, Jason, Simon, everybody was like, we can do this, and having everybody be on the same page, having that um, indomitable spirit makes for a successful team and yeah. uh, we achieved what we set out to do it took five days but uh it was incredible yeah it was a massive achievement for the car Amazing. Well, and 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 everybody involved you know it goes without saying and on behalf of like nine works radio just a huge 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 congratulations for doing what you've done many people have done many extraordinary things in porsches over the years and from our humble opinion yours is right at the very top of that in terms of achievement so a huge congratulations to the whole team i, I suppose by the time you've done the trip and, and you've done what you went to do in in the 356 miles you probably just want to go home, but I mean, that's where kind of the drama continued really. And you had kind of zero control over that. Right. 
You mean being stuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying it politely, but yes, when you were stuck. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not like they have regular, it's not like you get a plane that comes in every day no. and several flights a day, right? They're scheduled. And, and yet a schedule doesn't mean it's a schedule. It's all weather dependent, right? Yeah, yeah. So Possib- we were, a high possibility, maybe-ish. Yeah. <laughs> so we were set to leave on Monday. And we didn't leave till Friday, but it was constantly a weather updates, weather reports. And it was really high winds. We had, I don't know, they were gusting into the 80s or then 80, maybe 80 some mile per hour or something, right? Yeah. And uh, and then the visibility and all that thing, the plane just can't. So you have to be, you know, prepared to stay, stay, yeah. <laughs> stay longer than you anticipate. And of, course, and, uh, and of course, there's no hotel. You're still in your tent, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we have our tent. Yeah. But no, it was actually, no complaints. I liked getting stuck there. It was a great place to be stuck. Um, incredible people that work at the camp, uh, amazing individuals that you meet, Indivi- you know, somebody who's taken, you know, trek to the top of Everest 13 times lead as a lead guide, right? As, yeah. the, as the main guide or so many accomplished people, so humble that you would never know that, uh, that they've done all these things and these amazing explorers and scientists and, um, yeah, and, and to see how gracious and humble they are, it was it was just fun to be able to actually have those extra days to get to talk to people because we were always every day doing what we were doing, fixing course, the car, yeah. getting out, doing it. And like you were saying, it's daylight all the time. You have no sense of time. There were several days that we pulled in at nine thirty at night, and it felt like, oh, surely it's four thirty. No, it's nine thirty. You know, <laughs> and uh, and uh, having uh, all, all that, and then knowing you got to now get the car fixed to get get it going tomorrow again as well, but. Um, yeah, it was a, it was an extreme adventure and um, it was great. It, I'd love to go back. Love to go back. That was going to be my question. The sort of almost ending question was, uh, yeah, would you go back? But uh, yeah, you said you would just like to go back then. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That place is captivating and uh, brainstorming some new challenges for the car. Uh, again, as it performs so well with a few little tweaks, um, I think there's another massive challenge that I don't want to talk about too specifically that we could do with the car. And, uh, you know, it would, yeah, stuff is cooking. <laughs> I I'm really intrigued. I don't really know how you can beat what you've already done. And, and it was a question that, that we had primed was, you know, yeah, what's what's kind of going to happen to the to the car now? Um, uh, you know, would, would retirement be on the cards? But evidently, that's quite emphatically not the case. No, you can't. You, you go look at that car. Do you think you can just park it somewhere? <laughs> and forget about it. Well, well, this was the thing. I, I, it did cross my mind. Where could you put it? I mean, obviously, the right of place in the Porsche Museum. But the the practicality of that is Porsche themselves owns a lot of those cars in there. But it's it's a car that you know deserves to be seen by by many people. But I guess you know maybe you'll be taking the car to them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I just I mean my thought on this car all along, or any of these old cars, is. I don't want a trailer queen. I don't want a car that is just parked or viewed. It should be driven. It should be challenged. It should be. It should have a story. You know, there. It's like a little person, and it's got this adventurous spirit. And um, it would crush it if it had to just be looked at and and thought <laughs> over. Right? It wants to be roaring out there and, and you know breaking new territories and uh, doing some some new challenges. 
Absolutely excellent. Just the way we like it. And, and obviously the, the whole reason that um, you embarked on this crazy challenge, Rene, across like seven continents was obviously to raise money for a fantastic cause, which we spoke about before. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind just reminding people about how they can donate if they've been inspired by yours and, and Jason's latest, uh, latest chapter here. Yeah, so we are doing everything we can to combat child trafficking in this world. Um, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry. And there's anywhere from, I think, like five to seven million children that are trafficked. And those are primarily trafficked for sex. And it's a horrible thing to think about and uh, let your mind go to, but it's a real a reality. And it's a reality for their lives every moment of every day. And so we um, have raised um, over a half a million dollars. We have a million dollar goal. Uh, there's a, a project right now through OMAZE, O-M-A-Z-E, where they've created a tribute card that Ted Hill Portia has totally restored at 356 as a tribute or an homage to our Valkyrie racing car. Fantastic. And we get proceeds from that. Uh, people get a chance to win that car. And then we get proceeds from that to uh, our charity. All of the money that we take in goes out. We don't have overhead or salaries or anything. And uh, this, I've, I've done some undercover work this year. I've got two or three extra kind of trips I'm going to be able to do where we work with local law enforcement to find people that are the traffickers, to find the kids and to tee it up for law enforcement to make arrests and uh, get, the, get the children from being trafficked and get restoration for them, but also put those individuals in jail. you got to put those people in jail, right? Yeah. Break their business. So, um, so that, you know, I believe in, in not just reading statistics, but actually getting involved hands-on. And so to me, actually doing that work and seeing for myself and seeing the trafficker who's showing me the children on his phone that he has for sale is important um, to know what's happening and to know where the impact is. And then we personally vet the organizations that we support uh, that are working in this arena. So we have a very hands-on in every, every aspect of this. And, oh, would love your help. You know, you can't, this, you know, if you think about all the money that's being made in this industry and how little money law enforcement has or uh, private industries, NGOs to help these kids, uh, it takes dollars. It takes dollars. You know, you can talk all you want, but unless you get out there and do something, money makes it happen. Money yeah. gets the kids rescued. Money pays for restoration, right? Money does the education. So um, we would love their support, anybody's support, whatever amount, whatever that is. And um, if they want the chance to win the car in addition, that would be awesome. You know, if they do the amazing thing, but that's the reason behind everything. That's the heart and that's the passion. So the, the racing is funded by sponsors and everything. And the charity is over here as a separate thing that we um, are doing as, as, the, as the reason why, the heart behind it. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, it's unbelievably inspiring, Rene, you know. And so, as we said last time when you kindly appeared on the podcast, you know, we, we're really grateful of your time and, and doing the work you do to spread that message. Some of our um, patrons uh, have obviously donated to the cause before, and, and I think our name was under the... Yeah, under the hood, the Nineworks uh, radio. Oh, yes, you are. We did. That was yeah. so much fun. So under the hood, all the people that donated to our Donate356 campaign, we were, we were there writing their names inside the hood <laughs> and then they got to go out on the ice with us and that was super cool that was great and to know that everybody was with us and joining us in that journey and 
that is always such buoys you up, right? It's always an encouragement. Well, we, we, we were chuffed that some of our patrons uh, wanted to get involved with the cause and, and kind of support you guys under the Nine Works Radio name. So um, it, I think it'd be great to just name them quickly, if that's OK. It's um, alongside Andy and myself, Toby Dyer, Anthony Sambach, Paul van der Loen, Debbie Whiting, Nick Moda, James Chu, Chris Wright and Michael Heritage. So, yeah, thank you to, to our listeners for getting involved. And, and as I say, a huge, huge, huge congratulations to you both and your entire team for what, what you've done. It really is quite remarkable. Yeah, I think we should remind our listeners that they can still donate. Um, so if they go to Valkyrie Gives, that's the website, if I'm correct, um, and mm-hmm. you can donate to, on the website and obviously mm-hmm. go enter the EMA's competition as well for the 356. Yeah. 100%. And thank you to your listeners who donate and thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. And for letting us share this part of the of, of our story because it is at the core of it, right? It's at the Absolutely. core of all one uh, one final question to you both before we sign off. Then, will you be going skiing anytime soon? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so you need a little bit of time off, do Jason? <laughs> Thawing out. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm I'd love to get out there skiing all those wonderful warm clothes I just got, right, for Antarctica? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I say, thank, thank you so much to both of you for joining us on Our Mates Radio. Yes. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very, very much. Let's press. No, yeah. Thanks very much, guys. And thanks very much to the listeners who donated as well. It really makes a massive difference. Yeah. Appreciate it. Amazing. Really wonderful. Well, is that not the most inspiring story? Yeah, again from Rene. Yeah, yeah, and Jason. Yeah. yeah. Um, what amazed me was the the talk of the actual conditions. So when you think yeah. of a snowy Antarctica, you think of perfect flat ice or flat snow, but it's not. It's just like a crazy moonscape, isn't it? I oh. just hadn't thought about that big time and and i think for me like the fascinating side of that story is not so much with the car because a car will either do something or any machine it will either do something or it will not but like with human there's so much more color to that it's not as black and white you know you've got you know the the mental side of things i bet there were some really really tough moments out there because as we say it's this constant battle of attrition against mother nature and you know mother nature always wins so there's some real highs i'm sure and 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 some challenging times as well and it's great just to see the guys and and girls and how they kind of approach that and came through it yeah it almost seems like an sas style mentality (laughs) it does to it it, you know and to the point where you forget you're driving a porsche across antarctica you know yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, honestly, that is, it's amazing and it's for an amazing cause as well. So genuinely, yeah, absolutely. You know. I think we should just say thank you again to those, uh, guys that, you know, have already popped their, pop their hands in, in their pockets. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, um, we, it was actually the Patreons, um, in the, the first episode that we did, um, it, we took a month's worth of Patreon money. Yeah. Um, and we matched that between us yeah um and then again we've um donated 356 dollars between ourselves and and um those other listeners that we we went through on the list yeah but it you know it's not your last chance if you'd like to if you're inspired and you'd like to donate towards that cause which is such a difficult cause Mm. in that yeah you do almost want to brush it under the carpet you don't want to hear about it but 
it's an amazing thing that they're that they're they're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very Pop well said. In the Very well said, yeah, Andy. Good. Very well said. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go to ValkyrieGives.com. Excellent. Good. Okay. So from three five six in Antarctica, we're going to Carrera GTs. Yeah. Auction platforms. An utter utter madness. It's all getting a bit mad, isn't it? Which I don't know why hasn't it done it before. It's kind of like they've always been undervalued in some way, but yeah, it just seems to be going crazy now. Well, the last time you and I spoke on this podcast, which was the end of 2021, yeah, those cars were worth, perceivedly, if that's even a word, they, those cars <laughs> were supposedly worth you know, half of what they're apparently going towards now. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've had a car sell for $1.9 million. Yeah, that was the red one uh, on, on Brigger Trailer. Yeah. And I think today there's been another... A silver one that's, I think it's only got 250 miles on it. It's gone for two million. Two whole million, million pounds. Oh, yeah, uh, dollars. dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beg your pardon. Yeah, I'm just trying to see. Yeah, I think that was bring a trailer again. It was, yeah. Yeah. Ludicrous. So just, now, I know there's a, a WhatsApp group for Carrera GT owners. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be on that right now. <laughs> I wonder how much hand rubbing is going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, amazing. Mm. It's it's very interesting. I mean, I'd said to you off mic, Andy, that I remember a time, and this was a good few years ago, yeah, when a friend of a friend was looking to buy either a Carrera GT or a 997 RS 4-litre because they were the same price. It was a, a right-hand yeah. drive C16 RS 4-litre, and they were the same price at 300K. Yeah. Now, obviously, the cars have kicked on like significantly that, uh, since then. But, I mean, even, again, last time we spoke, you know, the cars were sitting at about, like, 800k uh, yeah. or something. That you was, know. yeah, if you look like the best of the best. Yeah, it? yeah. But yeah, then, like, maybe. just slipping up a little bit more yeah yeah allegedly you know i mean this is it like we we just don't know but then all of a sudden yeah you know we've kind of ticked into 2022 and then somebody's just turned the wick up on those quite significantly so um i mean you know have they always been undervalued and now they're being um appreciated as they should or is is this just a lot of hot air in the market I, i kind of feel that they have always been undervalued in some way they are special, aren't they? And I don't think, for some reason, the Ferraris of this world had sort of outshone them. A bit like the 959 in some ways. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, I'd like to ask you a question. Okay. I would like to ask you, if somebody was to give you the keys to a Carrera GT or a 959 for free yeah. for the rest of your life, you have to own the car for the rest of your life, you can't sell it. Which car do you choose to put in your garage, the 959 or the CGT? I'd probably go for the drama. Really? So you'd go V10? Yeah. That yeah. noise is just outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The, 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 the 959, I still, that's an amazing story. But the drama of that Carrera GT is just outrageous. Yeah. And always will be. It's like, you know, that's such an event whenever you hear one, let alone see one. Yeah. 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 Very good. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. What would you be? I, I would go the other way. Yeah. I would go 959. But as we live in the same town, I think we would therefore, we'd do all right. Because if you wanted to see a 959, you just pop round and vice versa. <laughs> so, but yeah, I just think, again, like the, the, the historical significance on the 959, as we kind of discussed earlier on in the pod regards my video, uh, is just massive. And, and I think, you know, that, that for me is like the reference car. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, we've got some expert talk on this subject. Yes, because we realise uh, our humble opinions are just that. So yep. uh, we, we need to add some kind of real meat to the bones on what exactly is going on with the world of Carrera GT. So for that, we have spoken to Mark Sumter of Paragon Porsche, an industry expert who also owns a Carrera GT. Okay. So we can get the view yep. from both sides of the fence. So let's hear from him. Absolutely. Mark Sumter from Paragon Porsche, thank you for joining us on Armworks Radio. You're welcome. Carrera GTs have gone mad, it seems, so far for the start of 2022. What's your take on it? I think that they've been going, bubbling away for quite a while now. You know, I think the last three years, they're starting to get appreciated for what they are. I mean, you know, there's been a group of us, I'll include myself, you know, I sort of fell in love 20 years ago with them. Um, but... I think that when the 918 came out, a lot of people changed out of Carrera GTs into 918s and thought this is the new, you know, this is, and it, obviously the, uh, the technology involved in 918s and those three, three hypercars um, was mind blowing at the time. And I think now people are seeing Carrera GTs um, for probably being the ultimate of that old school, and I hate to use the word, but I'm going to analog supercar. And and I think that at the time when they came out, they were super light and you know impressive and everything else. But now people now they look even more impressive for being how you know when you look at the the weight of a Carrera GT and, and everything else and and its pureness as a supercar. I think that that's what people are really appreciating: its pureness as a manual supercar. Is that offset against the subtext of where kind of automotive, even sports cars are going with uh, hybridization and electrification? You know, a Carrera GT is the antithesis of all that as a, as a you know, high revving, screaming V10, naturally aspirated engine. Does that add to the romance of the car from, uh, you know, a collectability or enthusiasm point of view? Yeah, I think it does. And I also think that people are really now, when you look at the history of the car, where the engine was derived from, it's much more impressive than when you first open the door and sort of see the dashboard you're used to and everything else. That's about, there's hardly any other carryover parts, you know, it's, it's so uh, extraordinary. With that comes a sort of trickiness to drive it. You've got the, you know, they're renowned for having this clutch that's, you know, I, I can still stall mine today and I should, should be better. But even five years ago, people just thought that was a, a problem with the car. Now they just think that's a, a characteristic of the car and they love it for it. We've had two cars sell for, you know, huge sums of money, $1.9 million and then $2 million this week. Yeah. They are surely anomalies in terms of they're going to be the exception and not the rule. Yeah, I mean, both of those cars are very, very almost unused cars. And, you know, this is an American market as well. So I'm taking it all with a pinch of salt in a way. Um, there was a car in between those, which was a used, there's a, a black one that didn't sell, um, that had done a few thousand miles, I think four or 5,000 miles. Um, so it will be interesting. I want to see when, you know, a 5,000 mile car sell. And I think that there's, there's a couple coming up and it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, it's massive money, um, you know, they're changing hands for. I, I hope the cars get used. I hope they don't remain under a thousand miles, but... Um, we mentioned there's a, an auction coming up with another car. Yeah, RM Sotheby's have got a car that's uh, five and a half thousand miles, GT Silver. It's in, it's in as part of a collection and it's a no reserve car at a public auction. So people will be in the room and watching that go through. That's uh, in about a week's time. So that'd be really interesting. That car is 
guided at $1 million to $1.3 million, plus obviously their fees. So let's see. I mean, if that sells for $1.5 million, including their fees, then we know what the, the, the market value for a car with some miles on is. Then we know that people are willing to pay half a million dollars premium for a, a less than 1,000 mile car. For context then, Mark, where were the cars, broadly speaking, this time last year, so the start of 2021 versus the start of 2022? You know, how much have they really kind of matured by in value? So I've been watching a few cars this, this year, well, over the last 12 months. And at the beginning of 2021, uh, three quarters of a million pounds would have bought you a 5,000 mile car with service history and no damage or uh, accident history, if you like. In the autumn of 2021, I know three cars that sold for between 820 and 860. And they were, all of those cars, all three of those cars had done between five and 8,000 miles. So in the UK, I would guess at the moment that a five or 6,000 mile car today would probably sell for 950, maybe 1 million pounds. That's, that's my guess. The UK market's gonna be its own market. Yeah, insular almost because yeah. of Brexit. I mean, I'm, I'm really keen to get to the bottom of like, what, what was the catalyst for this? What's kind of happened for Carrera GTs, for somebody, you know, for these people to start waking up and realize that maybe the true value of the car. I've been thinking about this and I'm not quite sure, other than they weren't loved in America. And now it seems that the American market suddenly switched onto them and, and, and really embracing them. I mean, we, so many cars that came into England were being bought in America and it was worth buying them, shipping them and paying quite high taxes to bring them into the UK. Dealers were doing that. So that's obviously stopped. You know, the, the Americans are now valuing them at least as high as uh, Europeans, if not maybe a little bit more. So I don't know what's happened over there with them, but I guess that the people I speak to that, that have owned those and then moved on to 918s are, have missed those, that era of car. And there seems to just be a sweet spot. Mid noughties was a good time for cars. You know, if you look at other cars, Ford GTs have gone up by about 25% in the same time. Enzos have gone from, I guess, five years ago you could buy an Enzo for a million quid, they're now over two million pounds. It's fantastic like, insight from the point of view of a specialist in the market and somebody who keeps close eye on these things. As an owner, how does that make you feel that, that these cars have kicked on quite considerably in, in a very kind of short space of time? I've been saying to our good customers and friends, buy a Carrera GT, I think they're worth it. I think they're really undervalued. They should be worth at least the same as an F40. You know, in my mind, they built roughly the same numbers of cars. And okay, one, you know, there's always this, this thing about the, 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 the Ferrari badge. But to me, they drive like a modern F40, you know, more than, you know, if you, if you were to drive an Enzo and compare that to an F40, I think it feels like a completely different car. Whereas a, a Carrera GT just feels like a modern F40. So I've always said to people, they should be the same value, if not a little bit more. Um, so I'm sort of quite glad that, that now they're, they're, they're being seen, as I've always seen them, as, as worthy of, of, of being up there with the F40 values. But I hope that people still use their cars. I think they will, but it's not going to change the, the amount I drive my car. I hope they don't just sit in collections and, and don't get used. And it's always a worry that, that, that uh, and that's sometimes what the Ferrari market's like, is people just, they're more worried about you know, their investment than they are um, 
uh, enjoying the cars. Well, th th this is kind of why I asked the question, because obviously at face value, it's great when something you own kind of goes up in value, but it brings a burden with it. So it perhaps does make you reconsider how you use the car and how often you, you use it in, in that scenario. There will be always a market for this super low mileage car and it will make a premium over other cars. But you know, my advice to people is to buy a car that's done eight, 10,000 miles and double the mileage in your ownership. Now it will cost you something, but it will give you a lot more back, you know, you, you, and, and, and that's why we all buy cars. I don't think they're gonna lose money by buying one anyway, because I think they're, they're, they're just gonna slowly appreciate more and more. I belong to a small club of owners that are like on a WhatsApp group. 90% of those guys are just saying, right, how can we use them more and more? They're, they're, they're a bit upset that they've got to pay a bit more for their insurance because their values have gone up, but they're, 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 none of them have said, oh, I'm not going to use mine now. It's fantastic insight, as I say, and a really nice way to end the conversation. It, it might cost a little bit more, but gives you a lot more back. And Mark at Paragon Porsche, thank you very much for your expertise. Thank you. How about that then, Andy? How about that? Interesting what Mark was saying in regards to comparing the Carrera GT to or saying it's a modern day F40. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's right as well, because it's that next little stage on, isn't it? But it's still analog. Um, and it just has been in the shadows of that sort of car. It was interesting what he was saying about the 918. Mm. You know, when that launched, everybody sort of dumped their Carrera GTs, wanted the next Emperor's new clothes. Um but we're getting around to that time now where it's, ah, okay, yeah. Mm. Kind of forgetting that we absolutely loved that car. Yeah, Mark and I were saying away from the mic that that kind of era generally is just a, a bit of a, or thought of as a golden age for people. You know, this yeah. like Millennium Heroes kind of generation or era. Late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. that sort of 10 years. Yeah. yeah, that's it, where the cars are kind of advanced and sophisticated enough as kind of driver tools and, and mechanical machines, but yeah. not completely overawed by digital technology. Yeah, but that's the balance, aren't they, in between the two the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Mark's kind of sentiment regards the Carrera GT in comparison to the F40, you, you said that that's kind of resonated elsewhere from what you Yeah, I was watching um, a supercar driver um, video the other day, and it was a interview with a guy called Chris Palmer. He from what I could make out, has owned everything from F40s, F40 LMs, F50s, Carrera GT, um, all the different McLaren F1s. Um, I don't know if he's owned much newer stuff, um, but, you know, he's he is, a, I would say, a, you know, well-versed in that sort of car in what they, what they are. And um, in the end, he came out as, you know, what, what would I... If there was just one car, it would be the Carrera GT. Wow. Okay. From all that list, including uh, McLaren F1s. Wow. You know, he talked about the McLaren F1 and said, you know, it's a great car. Um, it's a, a good driver's car, but it's not uh, amazing in comparison to what he had next to him, which was the Carrera GT. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Fairly resounding appraisal from both of those guys then that are clearly very well informed, far more than you and I. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're just <laughs> talking... Oh, well, not shit. But. Well, again, you know, like Mark's driven some fantastic race cars and we're going to hear more from Mark later in the series because, yeah, yeah some, he's done some fantastic things around the industry. Um, but, yeah, so to hold on to that one car for what is approaching 20 years now. That's, yeah. You know, while some other serious metal has kind of come and gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, a mark of the car. Glad he did. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Anybody else out there? Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. might be too late for that. Yeah. Well, I think we've, <laughs> it's for me. <laughs> we've really helped Carrera GT owners this episode. So, yeah. Yeah. Brown yeah. envelopes to the usual PO box. <laughs> Please, listeners. Excellent. Right then. So we'll finish with a competition. Yes. The eagerly awaited competition from charade yeah that's it the first competition of 2022 is a banger so so yes if you're listening at home hopefully you remember from last series steve shaw from charade accident repair center the one of a handful of porsche approved body shops in the uk steve as we realized or as we learned does some racing on the side in the box to cup yep and his lovely, lovely, lovely Rothmans liveried 986 Boxster. You can check the video on Nine Works TV, by the way, because we took that on the road in a recent video. Oh, I've um, seen that. Yeah, Have yeah. I missed it. Uh, no, it's oh, it's going to be out it's by coming. the time. Yeah, okay. by the time this goes live. So I've given myself a deadline now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get on with it. But yes, that 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 will be up and it will be live. So that's yes, yeah, pretty cool. Oh, it was awesome driving like a Rothmans livery race car, like a yeah. Porsche race car yeah. on the road. But for the new 2022 season, Steve is going to have a bit of a mix up. Time time to sand all that paintwork off. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So the Rothmans is going, and in its place, we know or Steve knows so far, it's going to be a ruby stone box nice which is going to work i mean we know it's a, such an iconic color it's yeah. a lovely porsche color as well it's going to work really well on the 986 kind of profile with amber lens indicators yeah front and rear so it's really going to pop i think yeah but steve would like a livery designed for the car and that's where that's where our lovely listeners come in Andy. excellent well we've got good form with the 914 stuff Unfortunately, yes. that's still not finished. It's still hanging in midair, but uh, the, the 1511 guys will, will get onto that at some point. But yeah, we had so many good entries for, for that. Yeah. Uh, let's bang them out for Charade. And we know that's, well, he's, it's got to be painted in February and March, is yes. it? Yes. So, yeah, that's it. So it's, it's, um, we can it, run this competition. The, the, the guys and girls at Charade have said we can run this competition until the 14th of Feb, until Valentine's Day. Okay. Rather appropriate considering Ruby Stone, as you said, off mic, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so we're inviting the creative juices to get flowing from our Nine Works listeners at home. The competition is, quite simply, to design a livery of your choice. Doesn't have to be an iconic livery of Porsche past. Yeah. Can be absolutely anything that you like, so long as the main colour is Ruby Stone. And it's to be designed for a 986 Boxster with a hard top. Excellent. Important to point that out. How it will work is if you submit your designs to us via either email, hello at nineworks.co.uk or via our Instagram page, we'll pass them over to Steve. Obviously, you and I will have a jolly good butchers in the interim. We could post post them on Instagram as well when we get those entries to get get everybody's juices yeah. flowing and yeah, gauge, you know, gauge see what the competition's reaction. like definitely yeah. yeah i think that's that's a really good idea it's gauge gauge public reaction and then yeah we'll, we'll pass the designs over to steve 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 will choose the best design his favorite design for yep. his race car and then yeah the prize is quite simply your design will go from paper to porsche on a 986 race Fantastic. car for the entirety of the 2022 racing season Brilliant. amazing yeah Absolutely and I'm amazing. sure the winner will probably get um, at least one visit to the track to see it 
going round? 100%. Yeah, yeah. Let's, that's, that's a great idea, Andy, to be honest. I mean, we're going to be following Steve's escapades anyway on, on nineworks.co.uk and, yeah. and via Nineworks TV. So we're, we're going to be there for a couple of race meets. So, um, yeah, the, the winner, if they come along, they can, they can hang out with us for the weekend. We might even probably, buy some lunch. Yeah, might, <laughs> might even get some lunch. Yeah, because hanging out with us isn't exactly a prize. But, uh, yeah, you'll get some lunch, get to see the car up close and get to see, yeah, your design in person. Awesome. Obviously, there will be like a couple of sponsors over the car. Car, but Nineworks is going to be proudly, or the Nineworks logo is going to be proudly adorned on the car, like it was for the end of last season. Superb. So uh, it might be worth just bearing that in mind in your designs. Oh yes, yeah, include but, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but not not necessary. It's just uh, I invite you to do so. Yeah. I'd say nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, what a cool competition, you know, imagine yeah. having your design like, splattered all over a, a genuine real life race car. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Your design at home could be the next Salzburg livery. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Excellent. So uh, yeah, that's a, a great way to finish the episode, I'd say. A, a good competition to get everybody going and, and raring to go for 2022. Yeah. Hope you've enjoyed the first episode of this series and look forward to hearing your ears listening to us. <laughs> For the, for the rest of the series. Cracking. We'll see you soon. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at www.patreon.com backslash nineworksradio. Mate! What is it with you? Look, are you some sort of nutter? I well, think you are, aren't you? You've been quiet at work today, haven't you? <laughs> and now it's just like, what the f***? Let's make noise while they're trying to record. Hey.